yeah, so, who here loves to receive a gift? Right. Keep your hands up if you like to receive a gift. There you go, Grace. It's a gift for you. So when you get when you get a gift, how does that make you feel? It's fa- fabulous. I, I was going to say special, appreciated, loved. And I think you know it can be a it can be a wonderful feeling to to be on the receiving end of a gift, especially if it's unexpected. Often you know often for some of us. It's just the receiving part. That's the most important part. Not actually the gift itself. The fact that someone has spent some time and effort thinking, putting real thought into the gift. That's what makes it so special. However, sometimes we get gifts wrong. Can you think of an occasion that you've ever given a gift or received a gift that's gone wrong? So I'm just going to recount one. It's still very much in my memory. And it was a few years ago, and it was Brenda's birthday. And I bought her a handbag and a purse from a very well-known high street brand. The ones that are covered in spots, strawberries, roses, and cowboys. And Stanley the dog is also involved. And I thought with this gift, I thought I had it sorted you know, I thought this was a perfect gift. However, I was soon to find out that Brenda's taste in handbag, handbags wasn't what I had thought. Because her reaction was tears. And at first I thought, well, maybe this is tears of joy. But actually, no. <laughs> this was because of, it was tears of concern. Because she was going to have to tell me that this gift was never going to see the light of day. And I think this microphone has gone dead. But fortunately for me, I still had the receipt. Another example, we, had a, we have a friend whose husband gave, her wife, gave his wife a set of mud flaps for Christmas. And then the following year, he gave her a set of rubber floor mats for the car. <laughs> and then the, the year after, he gave her AA membership Thanks. So I think you know these gifts might, might have been best intentioned, but they were way off the mark. And I was doing a bit of research here for the guys, and I found this really helpful website for the top five things not not to give to buy your wife or partner at Christmas. So number one on the list was small appliances. Do not give your wife an iron, a vacuum cleaner, food processor, or slow cooker. Cash is is the next one. Tickets for something that you want to go and see. (laughs) Weight loss products. (laughs) And the worst possible thing is nothing. That's the worst thing. But have you ever been expectant of a gift, maybe as a child or as an adult, that... You know, you've been promised, but it's never materialized. How did that make you feel? Not great. But some of us actually prefer to give gifts than to receive gifts. And why is that? 
and I was sort of thinking into this, and it, I think in basic terms, it's just it's really about showing someone that you appreciate them, you value them, you love them. But also, sometimes we give gifts in a, in a, in a way as a form of obligation. And I'm thinking about occasions such as birthdays and Christmases. But other times we give gifts out of voluntary motives. And I think for us, the culture that we live in, a lot of the focus is on is not on giving, but it's on receiving. But as Christians, we are encouraged to be generous and, and not to give to get. You know, we're encouraged to give without any expectation of receiving something in return. And, you know, I've seen that. I, you know, I've got first-hand experience. You know, Brenda talked about earlier on when she was ill two years ago. You know, I personally was in the receiving end of such love and kindness and generosity. And there was no expectation of receiving something in return. So, yeah, so, you know, so the question for us this morning as Christians, what motivates us? to give without expectation of receiving anything in return. What motivates us to live a life of generosity? And that's what I'm going to focus on this morning. What motivates us to live a life of generosity? So we're going to turn to the passage. So it's Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, through to chapter 9, verse 5. And I'll, Does anybody need a Bible? Nope. Okay, good. Um, so, yeah, so the title of this uh, passage is Titus Sent to Receive the Collection. Actually, I'll just read out the Bible. So, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of, the, of man. In addition, we are sending with him our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them into action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. 
but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, as I said you would be. But if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Amen. So when I read through this passage, the, the word that really sprung sprung out to me was was generosity, and that's what I'm going to focus on. But but I thought actually before we get into the passage, it's worth sort of spending a few moments kind of thinking about you know um, the background into who the collection was for, and why there was a collection, and why it was being handled in the way it was because some of that's not covered in today's reading. So at the time, um, the Jews in Jerusalem had committed themselves to Christ, were being ostracized by the families and also from their communities. So in a way, they were, they were being persecuted for their beliefs in Christ, for their belief in Jesus. So as a result of that, they had little or no money and lived in extreme poverty. And through discussions with the church leaders in Jerusalem, Paul had made it his project to raise money for the church in Jerusalem. And earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul had said to the church in Corinthian, sorry, in Corinth, he, he explained to them about this collection for the Lord's people, and he directed them on how they were to put aside money each week, and that would be used as a gift for the church in Jerusalem. And then, in, we've just read, in verses 16 to 21, Paul was sending a team in advance of him coming to Corinth. And I think what he was wanting to do, he, want, he was wanting to make sure that this collection, the handling of this collection, was done in a transparent and open fashion. Because I think if, if it had not been done that way, it could easily have they could easily have given rise to allegation of mishandling the funds. And if you think about us as a church or any charity, you have to have your accounts independently verified by an accountant just to make sure things are handled in a proper manner. Obviously, that sort of stuff wasn't around in the first uh, century. So, you know, how, how if the church in Corinth were making this gift, how could they be sure it was actually going to the right place? It, was actually, it wasn't just going into Paul's pockets. He wasn't going to be lining his pockets. So this is part of the reason for him sending Titus and also the two other guys who were going with him were of good standing and one of them had been chosen by the church in Corinth. And Paul was expecting this to be a liberal gift. It says in the passage, a liberal gift. And liberal in Greek is hadrotis. And what that means, this is only a time it's used in the New Testament, and it means abundant or lavish. So Paul was anticipating a very large offering, which I think was all, you know, all the more reason for him to make sure or guarantee it's safe handling. So that's a bit of background kind of leading up to this passage. 
So when I, when I read it, the word generosity came out loud and clear for me. And that's how Paul talks about it at the very last verse in verse 5. So I just wanted to focus on, you know, how can we live a life of generosity? That's really what I'm going to focus on this morning. So firstly, it starts in the heart. You know, you know, we all want to provide for those who we love. It's a heart, it is a heart thing. Everything we do for for them is motivated out of love. Loving comes at a cost. So when you love someone, they're put first. It's not about us, it's about them. You know, as a parent, we often sacrifice things out of love for our children. We go without things so that our children can have. And I think the same can be said for any loving, committed relationship. And again, I think as a, as a dad bringing up two children, I wanted the best for them, even though that meant, even if that meant me going short. And I think um, more recently, I can think about me spending time with my parents as they got older. You know, I think when you think of generosity, we kind of think maybe it's, it's money, but generosity comes in different forms. Time. We can be generous with our time. Uh, you know, there's lots of different examples. But I kind of think, for me, spending time with my parents as they got older, and, you know, that just meant spending time with them and just listening to their stories, recounting old stories and helping them around the house. You know, often our physical presence is the most valuable gift we can give someone we love. But getting back to the heart, I think God... He places stuff in our heart. He drops things into our hearts that prompts us and motivates us to act, to think and act differently. He sh- I think he shifts something in here that mo- motivates us to be generous. And sometimes that can be quite challenging, but we need to be willing to follow it through. You know, God might be asking us to be loving and generous to someone we don't even like. You know, now there's a challenge. But I think the proof of our love is the actioning of what the Lord has put on our heart. You know, and what is the Lord placing on our hearts to action? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit's promptings? Are we being obedient to what he's asking us to do? How good are we at the follow-through? You know, in the previous chapter to, to what we're looking at, Paul shares the examples of the Macedonian church. You know, the Macedonians, they were in a great trial of affliction. And, and although they were in deep poverty, they still gave generously. And it's... It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You know, they gave out they gave out so much out of so little. Their hearts were freely willing to give. They gave way beyond their means. You know, I think true Christian generosity can't be measured by how much one has to give. 
Often those who have less are more generous with what they give. And I think the example of the Macedonian church is practical proof that true generosity is frequently displayed by those who have got least or are least able to give. And I think Christian giving is not calculated in terms of quantity, but of sacrifice. And Ali mentioned earlier on about uh, the mission to Sri Lanka. Back in 2014, I was fortunate enough to be part of a mission. Um, and that was about supporting a youth camp near Jaffna, which is in north of Sri Lanka. And the thing that struck me most of all was, you know, we were, throughout our time, we were treated with such kindness, such love, such generosity. Most evenings, as a group, we were invited to a home, a host, from, um, from the Calvary Full Gospel Church. And they blessed us with hospitality and with food. There was so much food. It was probably more food than they would eat in a week. But I felt, you know, the sacrifice on part of the people was, to us, was apparent in how they wanted to bless us. It was a truly humbling experience. And I think that's just another example of generosity coming from the heart. So the second point I've got is um, our life of generosity is, is motivated by the cross. You know, I think often we're too quick at counting the cost of giving generously. But our eyes really need to go to the cross. Where we see the cost Jesus paid for us. It was the ultimate sacrifice, death on a cross. Jesus poured out everything for us. And I think when we understand what Jesus has done for us, that really should be the only motivation we need. Our sacrifice, or sorry, our response should be sacrificial giving. Just like the Macedonian church, just like those families in Sri Lanka. You know, Jesus is our role model. And he spoke more about money and giving than any other subject. In fact, the word give or given is, is uh, mentioned over 2,000 times in the Bible. And in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, you know, we should, we'll, we'll know it. But do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves can break in and steal. But store up your treasures in heaven. And then in verse 24, it talks about no one can serve two masters. Um, you cannot serve both God and money. Or simplifying it right down, what Bren, how Brenda's mum would often say, there's no pockets in a shroud. You can't take it with you. you know? So I think our giving you know, should be sacrificial. Out, you know, not out of our surplus. Because Christ gave his all for us on the cross. On the cross. And I think if we are truly motivated by the cross, we will give when others will not. We will give more than we are asked to give. We will give to see the impossible become possible. We will give even when it doesn't make sense. And we will give sacrificially, not out of our excess. 
You know, in, in Luke 21, Jesus compares a widow's mite to the rich man's gifts. You know, another very well-known story. You, you know, I'm sure you've heard it or read it many times, but some of the most powerful God moments are when we hear stories of sacrifice, whether big or small, in people's giving. And I think for us, the, well, the, the biggest challenge for me, and it should be for all of us, is that we should be continually reviewing our giving to the bride of Christ. That is the church. It's not about the big one-off moments. And I can, I can think in, the, in our recent church history, we've had three defining moments, three significant moments, spreading life. Two of them was around spreading life, and the last one was around strengthening your stakes. But my, my kind of little challenge here is that, you know, our, our, our responses should be ongoing. We shouldn't need to be prompted by the church leadership to increase or review our giving. It should be motivated out of a place of love for Jesus and for the, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You know, I've just a little example about the strengthening your stakes. Um, like a lot of folks, I spent a lot of time praying into what I should pledge, listening for confirmation from the Holy Spirit. I filled in the pledge form, and on the morning, I was going to come forward with my envelope when I clearly heard the Holy Spirit provide a higher figure. Um, you know, I could have ignored it. I'd spent time praying into it, listening to God, but the Holy Spirit spoke. So out of obedience, I changed them out on the pledge card. So I, I really think that we need to keep reminding ourselves continually that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have comes from God. There were um, seagulls nesting in a house near us recently. Yes, exactly. And they had three young chicks. And um, the adult seagulls were quite aggressive. They would come down, swoop around. They were really protective and territorial. And you might, may or may not know, but we're looking after Chuck and Taryn's dog. So here's me out walking Teddy, getting bombarded by these uh, these. Uh, Seagulls. So it, it was got so bad, I actually resorted to take an umbrella, putting it up as I walked past, which um, you know for protection, which looked rather odd to anyone driving par- past because it wasn't even even raining. But anyway, when I was thinking about this passage and thinking back to these seagulls, it kind of reminded me thinking about seagulls, and it reminded me of a scene from the Disney film. Finding Nemo. You're probably wondering where this is going, but there is a point. So this is a point at Marlin and Dory. They got sc- scooped up by by Gerald, the big brown pelican, in Sydney Harbour. And Marlin and Dory, they managed to escape from the, the, the pelicans, only to find themselves surrounded by seagulls. So there is a seagull thing in this. And the first seagull utters, mine. And I think it was just trying to claim 
its newly found prey, which then the rest of the flock started shouting, mine, 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 and just chase after the fish in absolute chaos. But it got me thinking, is that our approach to the stuff that we have? It's mine. I've earned it, so it's mine. But I kind of think we really need to remind ourselves that everything that we have comes from God and learn to let go of our stuff. In Luke 6.38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I think our motivation it needs to, it's, is from the heart, and it has to be motivated by the cross. And the third point I've got is if we live a life of living a life of generosity brings glory and honour to God. So you know a lot of this has been focused on money, but I don't. Th- the real issue isn't money. It isn't about money. It's actually about us giving ourselves to the Lord. You know I think if we really give ourselves to the Lord, then the right kind of material given will naturally follow. And Giving is a matter of grace from beginning to end. And our generosity needs to be based on God's grace for us. You know, like the Macedonian church, we need to give ourselves first to the Lord and everything else comes from that position. I think when we know that our lives are not our own, neither will we think that our possessions are our own. And it's easy to surrender when we've already, it's easy to surrender part when we've already given the whole. And I think as well, our generosity can stir others into action. You know, we read in the passage that Paul had been boasting about the Corinthians' eagerness to help the church in Jerusalem through their generous giving. So this boasting had stirred the Macedonians into action. However, Paul was concerned that the Corinthians wouldn't follow through on their promises. Paul was concerned that his boasting of the church in Corinth would prove hollow. So for us, do we need to be reminded of anything that we've pledged to God and not seen through? Fulfilling what we've promised, seeing through on our promises. And I think that could be both at a personal level and a, uh, maybe at a church level. And I think the proof of our love is love in action, not hollow words. And then at an individual level, I think the way we give should not draw us attention to ourselves, but rather we should heed Jesus' words from Matthew 6, 1 and 6, 3, where he says, do not do, your, do not do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. But when you give to someone in need, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and you, your Father, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And I think and by doing this, this way ensures the honour and glory always goes to God. My, um, my dad had a, a love for gardening 
He was always in his garden. He was always so proud of his flowers. For Christmas and birthdays, we would always buy him books on gardening. One Christmas, we gave him a Royal Horticultural, can't even say it, a Royal Horticultural Society Encyclopedia of Gardening, which is like the pinnacle of gardening books. You know, we were showing our love for Dad by giving him something we, he, we knew he would appreciate and get much enjoyment out of. However, it wasn't until much later, when he was 76, we were able to introduce him to Jesus through Alpha and seeing how this transformed his life and his whole outlook. We realized that actually this was the best gift he could ever be given. Now, I remember after my dad becoming a Christian, I'm saying, why had nobody told them of Jesus before now? So I think the greatest gift we can give anyone is that of our is that of our Lord Jesus. And our giving to the church enables more people to meet him. You know, Ali talked about Kenya and Sri Lanka. You know, every mission partner we support and every activity of our church is about giving people the opportunity to meet and know Jesus. And again, in that way, bringing glory and honour to God. So we've, um, I'm just about there, we've heard that as living a life of generosity comes from the heart. It's a heart thing. And it's also based on the huge, based on the understanding of the huge sacrifice Jesus made for us. And when we're generous, either as a church or as an individual, it is honouring to God and brings him all the glory. My last point is really just to say all of this is bound in love. Living a, a generous life can only be done out of love. It starts with love and it ends with love. You know, we need to live with an attitude of gratitude. And then, as Paul says in verse 5 of the passage, our giving will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given.